We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Thursday, August 12th. And the Cubs and Brewers have just wrapped up a four-game series at Wrigley Field. It included a doubleheader on Tuesday as some bad weather on Monday canceled that game for the evening. And, uh, Brendan, it was uh, not not, not, not good. Uh, The (laughs) Cubs do not win any of these games. Uh, They lose all four. And the last two in particular, the doubleheader was like relatively close. The last two games, the Cubs lose by a combined score of 27 to 4. So Mm. that is how things are going at Wrigley Field at the moment. So that is that. We will talk a a little bit about the goings-on, kind of like we've done in the past, more focused on individual performances, things going on with the team, and kind of keeping our eye toward what really matters in the future, not necessarily for what is going on at this particular moment. But we have uh, some roster moves to start us off with, Brendan, and uh, one of those, Wilson Contreras going on the 10-day injured list with a right knee sprain. Uh, The front office saying that this was more preventative or, uh, you know, just precautionary than anything. So, um, Which, good. Yeah. Thank you you for doing that. Yeah. We've talked about, you know, the workload that Wilson carries for a long time. Obviously, you don't want him to be hurt, but no need to be uh, putting extra strain on anything with him at the moment when these games... And you know Wilson wants to play. Like, if it were up to him, he'd be out there right now. So it's it's probably nothing. It's This has to be really frustrating for him. Right. Like, he, I mean, he's never, he's never games, played on a, on a losing gone. team. I mean, you know, they, 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 they... sit there. Right. I mean, they don't win the division in, in 2019, but that team was still competitive and were was expected to be competitive so this is a this is a new experience for him and I think we all know like he does not like losing so this has got to be very a very difficult period for him but he's going to find a way to make the best out of it right even during his performances like he's going around the bases clapping going nuts as if the Cubs are 20 games above 500 so even if he's not playing like I imagine and I feel as if he wants to take more of a leadership role. We're mm-hmm. going to see more of him, you know, on on the bench and talking and, and and doing his thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, we've talked about before, like the the these types of seasons are where Anthony Rizzo really forged that role for himself prior to the Cubs, you know, going on that run and stuff. And that Reds game against yeah. uh, Chapman, 
stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. and, and you just have that opportunity to build that reputation with the fans because not all that much else is is going on. The The Cubs obviously have to make a decision on, on Wilson as he's only got next year on, on his contract. So, um, you, you know, they kind of have to decide if he's going to be that leader for whatever this next run of Chicago Cubs baseball looks like. But yeah, this is kind of the the time for him Why to... Why even bring that up? We just lost like four guys. You bring that up already. Well, I guess I'm just saying I, I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to call him the leader of the team if they're not even sure he's in the future plans. At this point, I, I bring it up I because... I can't do this again. Just I can't know. do this again. <laughs> I get it, but I can't. I'm just getting Jet, over losing. Jed is cutthroat, man. That's that's one thing Dude, we learned brutal, uh, recently. So I I I'm just sort of throwing it out there because it seems like he's willing to do anything. So, but yeah, this has got to be difficult for Wilson Contreras to be sort of experiencing losing like this and and the sort of I don't want to say meaninglessness of it all, but it certainly feels that way. I think for a lot of us fans checking in on a on a day to day basis. Um, Kyle Ryan DFA'd at, for mm. the life of me. I have no idea how this has gone on for so long. You've never liked Kyle Ryan uh, as a pitcher. I've always, I was kind of okay with him. I thought he was unique with that release point, but he just got injured and lost his velo over the years. It happens, you know? Yeah. I. It's, you hated him. You're, you're projecting. That was you who didn't like him. You know, Brendan, it's very hard at times to figure out which person you got. You hated. I hated. We both hated. <laughs> you, you never know. We complain about a lot on, the, on this podcast. So we normally we're right, but, you know. It's still hard to keep track of. Um, but in terms of roster moves, the big move today is that the Cubs cut ties with Jake Arrieta. They uh, release him, and that is that. That is the return of Jake Arrieta. The book opened <sighs> and closed. So obviously that did not go the way any of us would have hoped. <laughs> um, he finishes with an ERA just south of 7 um, has been one of, if not the worst, starting pitchers in baseball this year. Um, and really, for you know, after the, those first five starts, Brendan were at least kind of in the vein where you're like, okay, you know, five-ish innings, he can keep the team in the game. That's fine if he's going to be the four or five on this team. At the time, you were obviously hoping Zach Davies would not be as bad as he's been, and and you know, other things would have gone their way. But really, from that point on, it it really kind of drastically tailspinned. And most of the starts recently were, you know, kind of of that one and two-thirds, two innings, three innings type variety where, you know, basically by the time the Cubs came to the plate, the game was all but over. So I, th- I think, you know, the writing had been on the wall, but I, I wasn't really sure how they would handle this exactly if they would just keep trotting him out there and, and all this other stuff. But uh, the decision made on Thursday to end this reunion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, that was disappointing. I mean, contrasting what you just said from what we said the first few weeks when he was starting off well, as, as you mentioned there, um, it sucks. I, I think it was a miss on, on Jed and the front offices part. Um, I think the excitement around his signing originally was predicated on him changing and getting back to his mechanics that we saw in 2017 and 2016. Physically, he was incapable of doing that. That's what was said this year. In 2021, I cannot throw crossfire anymore. He had injuries in the years past, and that no doubt contributed to what to what we saw. So 
in those first few starts when he was doing well against Pittsburgh, like we we I I took note of it. I'm like, oh, I don't I don't I don't know if this is what we want from Jake. We wanted I wanted him to get back to more crossfire action, but the release point data didn't show that. He was still getting okay results. In addition, his sequencing did not change whatsoever. He was trying to be the same guy as he was in 2017. There's just no doubt about it. The sequencing was exactly the same. He used the same amount of sinkers down in the zone, same amount of cutters, curveballs, changeups. Everything was the same. He's not that pitcher anymore. So I was surprised throughout the course of his time back with the Cubs, they didn't try to drastically change anything. And that's been the MO for Tommy Hadovy and the rest of the pitching staff, is you take these pitchers, these young guys, and you mold them into a completely new pitcher. They did that with Alzali. They've done that with Steele, who we're going to get into. They do that with everyone. Rowan Wick, Brad Wick, every single young pitcher has developed not just one pitch, but in many cases, two new pitches. They didn't do that with, with Jake. They didn't even like have Jake throw differently in portions of the zone. It was exactly the same. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know how when they signed him that they missed medicals, that he couldn't get back to that cross for a reaction. Because we heard even Tommy Hadovy talk about that during uh, during spring training. I don't know why Jake was throwing sinkers half the time at the knees. I, I for the life of me, will never understand that. When every single pitcher in the system throws sinkers in on the hands to righties or back inside to lefties. That's even been Alzali's problem this year is leaking those high and inside uh, two-seamers and sinkers to lefties. Jake never even did that or tried to do that. So I'm disappointed in that regard. That's really where I fall back on. Um, could they have done something different with Jake? I, I, I don't know. There's no doubt Jake works his you know tail off to try to be the best he can be. But ultimately, the process failed. It have failed at the player level, the coaching level, and clearly the front office level devoting almost 7 mil to Jake when you're letting other pitchers go. You got Jake instead of, for example, Taiwan Walker, who's had a, a good year with the Mets. Um, can it happen with the Cubs? Who knows? But that was the decision they made at the time. It was a misfire. What Jake did from 2014, 2013, 20, 2017, I'm never going to forget that. That 2015 stretch was unbelievable, and I don't think we're ever going to see that again in a Cubs uniform. That was historically one of the best... I mean, some people consider it the best second half in Major League history. Uh, so for that, like, you have to be grateful. I know there's other, like, behind-the-scenes, um, you know, PR stuff that was bad, and I don't like that either. Um, so that was that was unfortunate, and maybe that contributed to him ultimately being released today. But, uh, you know, the guy was a worker. He was respected by teammates. Alzali considered him a mentor. Hadavi considers him uh, one of the hardest workers, David Ross as well, John Lester, all the guys back from the 2016 team. And so you have to be disappointed. It's understandable. Um, and it's time to move on. Yeah, it. Th- this whole thing kind of makes me, I, I will always be upset that we didn't get to see John Lester one more time as a Cub but this is what it. Could but have been. this is what it could have been. It's it's one of the things I yeah. was I was thinking today because John has not pitched well, and he's been I think a slightly better than than Jake has. That's obviously a very I mean, low bar. The worst in the league. Um, yeah. but 
you know, so I'll always be disappointed that John's last starts with the Cubs came in, in the COVID season in 2020 and, and, you know, no fans in front of nobody and stuff like that. So even though he came back with Washington, didn't get that proper farewell and, and send off. Um, but at the same time, like this is one of the kind of tricky things with reunions, right? And especially when guys are in that age range and, and portion of the, their career that Jake and John appear to be in together. Um, this is always kind of one of the possibilities. And it, it started in, in such a, a positive way with Jake being back in spring training, the beard being back, him kind of reuniting with uh, all the guys and seeing his relationship kind of develop with Adbert Alzali and thinking, you know, you sort of start to dream on like, okay, like I don't have any delusions about what Jake is going to bring as a pitcher, but if he can just like be a solid back-end guy, like this is going to be fun, right? We get to have an old friend back. He's going to play a different role this time in in mentoring young guys and and being kind of someone that guys can sit and, and pick their brain and stuff. And that's kind of how it seemed in the beginning and how it kind of started and it yeah it just did not go well from that point and uh like you I mean I you know the 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 version of Jake Arrieta that I think of is always going to be 2015 2016 uh his dominance in in 2015 his performance in the World Series that the Chicago Cubs win um win the World Series yeah so like that's that's what I think of with Jake Arrieta you know I'm not going to um think like, yeah, that was great, but he was terrible in 2021. Like, I'm probably just going to forget that this ever happened and or pretend that it never happened. But Let's just forget this entire season. How about that? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that would be that would be great, but we can't really do that. So oh. yeah, that's uh, where we are with the Cubs roster decisions. And that is uh, kind of the, the, you know, unceremonious end to Jake Arrieta's time with the Chicago Cubs, as I do not think there will be another reunion in the future. So that is that. Jed Hoyer has made his decision. Uh, another one on the Hoyer chopping block, Brendan, just uh, just gutting our, our past, past heroes. But we move to the current squad. I'm not going to break down these four games with Milwaukee. I don't think you guys need a recap of how well that series went for the Milwaukee Brewers. But we do have some interesting stuff to talk about in this one, and the primary thing was something that we've been looking forward to, and that was the first MLB start from Justin Steele, who gets the nod in the opener of the doubleheader on Tuesday. Uh, Brief aside, on a personal note, I was annoyed at this, Brendan, because uh, I have not been going to all of these games. Um because the weather has been bad in Chicago and the team is also bad in Chicago. Um, So just sort of been taking a a break, a mental break, uh, whatever. But I was going to go on Tuesday night to watch Justin Steele and support Justin Steele in his first start because I wanted to be there. And then when the game got bagged on Monday, they moved him to the day game on Tuesday and I couldn't go to the day game. So uh, Mm. none of you care about this, I'm sure. But I was just send them an email. Yeah, I was just annoyed. Yes, when pitchers, when players make significant debuts, please do them uh, with more consideration to those of us that work nine to five hours. Yes, that I mean they should. They absolutely should. I yeah. So anyway, I wanted to be there. I wanted to see it, but alas, I was not. So 
anyway, uh, Steele Steel does take the loss in this one, but it was a pretty solid debut, I think, all things considered. He goes five innings, five hits, three earned runs, one walk, one strikeout, and two homers allowed. He does all of this on just 70 pitches, so efficiency-wise, definitely was there. Obviously, he has not been getting stretched out for that long, so don't know how, uh, even if he was dealing, I don't know how much longer he would have gone. This is all sort of part of the process, but um, I know he was uh, a lot of ground balls in the early uh, few innings of uh, this game. I think the first seven batters were all hit on the ground. One of them was an infield single, but otherwise it was a lot of ground outs. Um, but take us through what you saw from Steele in terms of, you know, the the pitch repertoire that he was using, the sequencing that he was using, because I know I think it changed as the game went on, and, you know, just generally, like, I, I think the line was fine. Obviously, this is a good Brewers team, so five innings, three runs in a general sense would be a fine start, um, but just take us through what you were thinking watching Steele on Tuesday in terms of a guy that is still in the process of being stretched out and making his first MLB start. So how do you kind of take all of this data plus the results and kind of ultimately like what type of conclusion did you have after just one sample here? I was going into a start looking for pitch changes in terms of what he is going to be throwing, and we saw quite a drastic change. So when he was a reliever, he was throwing mostly four seams and sliders. I mean, when I say mostly, I like almost 90% of the time that made up um, his his pitch repertoire. As a starter, it's quite different. And Greg Huss, who was on this podcast, um, to discuss Justin Steele, and he interviewed Justin Steele, and this is Greg Huss of the Growing Cubs podcast, which you need to go subscribe to. Uh, he said that Justin was going to start throwing more changeups and start throwing more curveballs. And that that slider, which is somewhat new, was developed in South Bend during the COVID season last year. So again, another new pitch developed at that site by this Cubs pitching infrastructure, which is what you want to see. So in this debut start against Milwaukee, I thought we're going to see more changeups. I thought we might see more curveballs. We saw both of those. So that indeed happened. What did not what happened that I did not expect was Corey, he threw a ton of sinkers. Like, he threw 50 fastballs, half of them were sinkers. He was not doing that out of the bullpen. And in that same line, as we talked about Jake and his sinker usage down in the zone, about 70% of Steele's sinkers were thrown up above the middle portion of the plate. So towards upper part of the zone. So that's exactly what every pitcher on this team has been doing. It's very unique to the Cubs. So he threw 70 pitches, 24 four seams, 23 sinkers, 10 curveballs. Did not see many curveballs out of the bullpen from him. He threw only seven sliders. He was throwing 30% sliders out of the bullpen, only 10% here. And then, yes, he showed a changeup. He threw a changeup six times, which made up almost 10% of his repertoire. That is what we heard from Greg Huss. He said that Steele was throwing a changeup maybe like five to seven times a game in 70 pitches. Lo and behold, he threw 70 pitches. He threw it six times in this game. So that is the intention with Steele. 
throw more changeups, throw more curveballs, maybe going forward, taper back the four seams and throw more sinkers. You did see more balls hit on the ground. Uh, I know those sinkers are not thrown towards the knees, they're thrown up in the zone, but having that type of lateral movement on your pitch is going to induce weak contact. And of course, that weak contact went on the ground. That's what you want to see. For your first start, especially being stretched out and having not concerns, that's not not the right word, but just a curiosity about what his velo can look like as a starter. He averaged 93 with his sinker. He sat 93 to 95, uh, 92 to 95, sorry. And he threw 70 pitches and he threw five pitches. Corey, what, what more do you want from a young lefty starter to do this? And in doing so, only walked one guy. That was another curiosity going into a start was his command. His walk per nine in AAA was above four. Was that because he was trying new pitches and now he got a feel for it, so therefore his command will be better going forward? Maybe that is indeed the case, and that's what you have to be looking for going forward. But overall, this is exactly, in my mind, of course you want like all these strikeouts, sure. everything, but realistically, this is a really good start, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have uh you know that's all the the deeper insight I think that we're gonna have, but I think you know from a kind of narrative standpoint, I I agree. I, this is obviously a work in progress, and you this is you know as we've talked about with someone like Azali, like you have to have some patience here. You know, he's he's still getting stretched out and still getting used to being an MLB starter. And I think you have to allow them to take this start, take a look at what worked, take a look at what led to those couple home runs, take a look at how his velo, uh, you know, was managed as the innings went on, and they'll recalibrate things. And we may see a, a completely different overall look next time. We may see something similar, but this is just kind of something that you have to monitor start by start and, and give him those opportunities. And there's several guys out there, you know, that we've talked about who over the course of this month and a half or whatever that's left in this season, it's an opportunity for them to just get these reps in. And Steele is going to be one of those guys who it's just about seeing ultimately where you leave things after uh, a handful of starts here in 2021 and what you can kind of build upon going into 2022. And they may ultimately reach the conclusion that they like him better as a multi-inning relief guy. And, you know, I'm not sure what their standard is going to be or how they're judging all of this, but that's the, this is the type of thing that is the best use of this time, right? You want to see as many of these guys getting these opportunities as humanly possible. And we're seeing it with, you know, we talked about Rafael Ortega in the last episode, right? You don't see this from someone like Ortega if you don't give him the opportunity to play, right? If you only looked yeah. at his past numbers uh, when he was with a couple different organizations, you would never have figured out that he could play like this for whatever period of time it's been and, and maybe can do going forward. So this is the and best. These guys you- need to adjust too. Like they need the opportunity to tinker with stuff and fail, especially these pitchers who I think Steele has every reason to be a starting pitcher next year. If he's not Corey, if he's not in the rotation come 2022 opening day, I'm going to be very disappointed. 
because he has five pitches. He has his stuff. It should work out theoretically. Yeah, and I mean, I obviously I don't know Justin Steele, but just in in watching his mound presence, the energy he has, everything like you know, he just seems like one of those guys who you kind of trust. He's gonna put in the work, whatever Hottity and those guys are yeah. asking him to do or asking him to focus on. Like I, I think he just sort of seems like one of those guys uh, sitting watching on TV. Like this guy's gonna do what it takes to reach that next level for himself in his career. So I mean, he's wearing chains out there, you know, for a pitcher to be wearing those like necklaces. Uh-huh. Like, you know, the guy has an attitude. Yeah. So you, you, you like to see. Yes. That. So it's, it's a work in progress and, you know, kind of, again, like be really dialed in to whenever he gets out there and, and takes the ball again, because it's going to be fascinating to see if anything changes, if anything is the same. And uh, again, to see what the results are. But I think for a, fir- a guy making his first MLB start against a team that has been going as well as the Brewers has, has a line up like they do and stuff like that um and what we saw from them the rest of the series right like it's uh I think it was a very nice start for Justin Seals so kudos there so uh one guy that we've we've talked about I think a good bit uh but I do want to kind of delve a little further or at least just do a a check-in on and that's Patrick Wisdom so Patrick Wisdom hit another home run today uh, in the game on Thursday, his 18th of the season for the Chicago Cubs. And it's a not so insignificant amount of plate appearances at this point for Patrick Wisdom, Brendan. And that's kind of why I wanted to do a little bit of a check-in kind of like we did with Ortega last week. And, um, Looking at his numbers, he's through 220 plate appearances, a 906 OPS, a 139 WRC plus, and you know again 18 home runs. We've seen him in the field, plays good defense, has a really strong arm, and it's again you know similar to Ortega and similar to different guys. You don't have to necessarily think he's going to put up a 906 OPS if he plays 140 games or something like that for the Cubs in 2020. But I think the the, the question that we've been trying to answer this whole time since he came up and, and got so hot and was hitting all those home runs and was kind of catching everybody's attention is, is this a guy? right? Can he factor into their plans in 2022? And I think the the bigger question, Brendan, is can he factor into those plans if the Cubs spend some money and, and maybe aren't pushing all their chips in and, you know, positioning themselves as a juggernaut, right? Which I don't think most of us expect for 2022. But if they make enough moves to be competitive, especially in this division, is what we're seeing from Wisdom the type of thing that you're saying, yeah, like, I don't know if he's starting every day, but clearly there is something there, and he's got to be in those plans, because 220 plate appearances, still hitting home runs, he's made some adjustments, cut that K-rate a little bit, like, clearly, like, there's there's something there, right? Yeah, when we look at the overall numbers, it's easy to suggest that they're not stable, and what I mean by that is if we look at his strikeout rate, it's almost 40%, 4-0. So people look at that like, oh my gosh, too many strikeouts. And then their eyes wander to that BABIP. That BABIP is almost 370. Then they start saying, oh, he's just getting lucky. This is not sustainable. Patrick Wisdom is not going to be a thing. 
that's not the right way to look at this. The right way to look at this is to, one, recognize that, yes, in 220 plate appearances, he has a 380 Woba. That is a lot of plate appearances. Yes, his BABIP is almost 370. That's a high BABIP. But what has he done recently to adapt? Is his high BABIP reflective of his recent performances in stable samples? So you can go in, you can look at his last 50 plate appearances. That's a good sample to look at because plate discipline tends to stabilize around 50 plate appearances. That means you can look on a rolling basis and you can kind of track with some degree of confidence what changes are happening and if they're being successful. So in Wisdom's case, he started the year off crushing it, right? Way more than he is right now. The issue then was that his contact rate was the worst in Major League Baseball. So a lot of the conversation that you and I were having, like, well, you know, this is good, but he's going to need to eventually adjust because this is not sustainable. That was true then, and his BABIP was high back then as a result of that. So people are right. Yes, back then, this was not a stable performance. Now... Within his last 50 plate appearances, and even dating back to 100 plate appearances, two things have happened. The first thing is his contact rate is no longer below 60%. It's almost 70%. The league average is around 74%. Javi Baez makes 64% contact. So Wisdom jumped from worse than Javi to in the same tier as, say, Kyle Schwarber, for example. That is a huge increase. That is a a massive increase that can only be explained by an approach change or a mechanical change. You have to take notice of that. So going forward in these next few months, you can't just like look at the grand sum and in doing so predict what you think you can get from wisdom. You do have to go on this like rolling 50 plate approach, uh, plate appearance sample to get an idea of what changes he is making because those are going to determine your confidence, my confidence, going into 2022. And if he keeps improving at this level, I think you do have to put him in the discussion of maybe a frequent playing time role next year. Seriously, that's a big that's a big deal, a massive improvement from what we knew about Wisdom six, seven, eight weeks ago, even when he was crushing it. We're seeing his ability to adjust, and he's doing the damage not against lefties, not against righties. He's doing it against both. His Woba against righties is 390. This is not a platoon player. And at the very minimum, he's a plus defender with one of the better arms in the league. So if he's making more contact, still hitting balls far, playing plus defense, this is a major league player with tons of control that may end up being a significant part of your team. This is what they signed David Bodie to. They gave Bodie $15 million to do what Wisdom's doing at this point. And so there's value there. Yeah, and a good point made by a friend of the podcast, Matt Clapp, at the Blog Finds on Twitter. And he just pointed out that when you are already you know, reasonably sure that at least two of the guys in your lineup next year, uh, Nick Madrigal and Nico Horner, are obviously contact-heavy guys with little to no power, you can afford someone like Patrick Wisdom and that type of profile that, you know, maybe you're dealing with rolling contact rate or K rate and stuff like that, but you know the pop is there, right? You know he's going to be able to pop 
20 plus home runs or whatever, depending on how many games he's playing, you can mix and match that stuff when you've got the contact stuff handled. The issue that the Cubs have kind of run into frequently over the past few years is that they have had so little of those contact guys when, uh, you know, someone like Ben Zobrist wasn't there or whatever, that it was too much of the one profile, which you guys have obviously heard this discussed a million times. Uh, But looking forward, we don't know how they're going to build out the rest of the team beyond, uh, you know, some of these guys, but you know that at least a couple of these positions are going to be occupied by extreme contact guys. So it does allow you to take that chance on someone like Wisdom and say, look, we're, we're getting these results over the course of these 200 plus plate appearances. Let's see if we can you know, keep having this be a thing. And if there's sort of those, uh, those valleys in his production, okay, fine. Like we've got some other guys that are going to be handling the, just put the ball in play aspect of things. So let's see what someone like this can do. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly interesting and it's been, um, a pretty fun story to to keep following. It's sort of, you know, like I remember when it started, it was just like, oh, here's Patrick Wisdom just hitting tanks every other day. And this is fun. We'll see what happens, but whatever. And, you know, now we're like a few months into this and there's only a, a month and a half left in the season. And as long as he, you know, avoids some sort of like massive crater here, like he's going to have had himself a very nice 2021 season that the Cubs kind of yeah. unearthed from out of nowhere. Well, I think he has to be in the discussion, assuming that the changes he's made recently are sustainable, to play significant amount of time next year in a competitive way with a competitive team. We'll see what the Cubs end up doing, but he's deser- he's deserved it. And if he were doing what he were doing what he was doing back in like May, hitting tanks but striking out this much, then even despite those numbers, like I I I would be hesitant to give him a, a stable role in 2022. But it's the fact that he's changing so much. And Corey, like I remember back in those early days in in, in May and June, and we saw he was crushing every pitch. It wasn't just against fastballs. It wasn't just against like changeup sliders. It was against all pitch types. Whereas for Ortega, it's been mostly against fastballs and changeups. He struggled so much against breaking pitches. That hasn't been the case for Wisdom. He's hitting all pitch types. So that signals he has an ability to adjust even in pitch, in at bat. And so if he can adjust like that, then I think he can continue to adjust going forward on a more like systematic level. And that's that's what we're seeing. It's not rare for guys to break out at this age. You know, we've seen it with Jose Bautista and Justin Turner and other examples in the past. And I'm not, you know, comparing uh, wisdom to those, you know, two hitters who ended up being at their time and their peak, some of the best hitters in the league. Uh, but it's just to say that some guys do, for whatever reason, they, they just get it. It just clicks for them later in their careers. And with more playing time for wisdom, he hasn't had that opportunity in the years past. With more playing time at the major league level, like we, we may be seeing it, man. And uh, I, I got to say, like his defense, just his defense alone should give him a spot next year. That power potential and defense should at least give him a spot and going into 2021 wisdom was not even in my brain right like he was the he was the replacement during spring training I'm like who the hell is that out there at first base replacing tony rizzo well you know he ended up replacing rizzo full-time this year uh that's 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 what happened but um i miss rizzo but 
I still think that going forward, like Wisdom is a legitimate, legitimate candidate. And don't ignore what he's done the past uh, four or five weeks. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, again, like we're not really sure how they're going to build out this roster, how much money they're going to spend, blah, blah, blah. Like you've heard it a million times. But I, I do think one one interesting thing, especially with someone like Wisdom, someone like Ortega, these guys that are that are performing really well um, for this this kind of lengthy stretch is at the very least, it's intriguing to have these guys who can be, you know, maybe they're not in strict platoons or whatever, but guys that don't necessarily need to start every day. And, you know, you mentioned what the intention with when they signed David Bodie, and that's kind of how I'm thinking of it for these guys. Like, whether they're looked at as as starters or just complementary guys, like, they're performing at a level like they would be very good complimentary guys. This would be very nice. And you sort of think of the kind of the disparity between like the bench that the Cubs had in 2015 and 2016. And then kind of as the years went on and it turned more into guys like Almora, Descalso, Sogard, and, you know, much has been written about and talked about how the, the lack of depth and lack of production from those bottom levels of the offense has been a real killer, right? When when the stars were not performing, nobody else was, right? And you look at the success that the Cubs had in those early years, and you know, like you you had Javi Javi wasn't starting in 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 those early years, right? Like that was the type of player you were bringing off the bench. Now I'm not saying that Wisdom or Ortega is equivalent to someone like Javi coming off the bench in those early years, or Soler being a guy that didn't necessarily play every single day. Um, but having these guys who can give you this type of production, even if it's not quite this good, in a non-everyday role, that's how you build that depth, and that's how you build a really successful team, and it allows Jed to kind of figure out where he wants to hyper-focus whatever budget he does have to build out the rest of this roster because you can say, yeah, we may not play Ortega every day, but we're pretty confident he's going to give us decent production if he's out there four times a week or whatever yeah. it is, right? But I'm like, I'm I'm way more confident in, in, and this is not a knock on, on Ortega. I think what he's doing is extremely impressive, but I'm more confident in that opinion with wisdom sure. being a stable piece of this roster than Ortega. And Corey, that's because, like I said, the, the, the pitch type adjustments, the contact adjustments, and Ortega's made adjustments uh, for his launch angle, and that should be respected as well. But I feel as if, if we're trying to project 2022 in this current moment, and we're getting into December, like if this continues with wisdom i'm legitimately thinking that he should start for this team mm. next year and that's a big big deal i'm not there with ortega yet in my mind ortega's like, all right well he can be a fourth or fifth outfielder because he he does struggle against lefties yeah. and he does struggle against breaking pitches he needs to show he can do that like what does wisdom need to do from here on out it's just to maintain your performance. Like he's already right. yeah. kind of there. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I just end up lumping them in together because I think they're representative of... They're the only two interesting players. Well, in and, right <laughs> you know, just as we talked about, like they're the type of guys where it's like, okay, you ended up giving these guys a pretty significant chance and they're, you know, sort of catching your attention, right, with the way that they're performing. Um, and, you know, you hope that, I guess, over the, the course of these next couple months that it's not limited to those two guys on offense. Obviously, on, on pretty much a daily basis, we're seeing, uh, you know, a, a random assortment of guys, you know, um, Alcantara playing second and short, Dykeman, uh, Schwindel, etc. Like, you're, you're hoping that some of these guys show you something, whether it's, you know, for... Uh, 
significant future purposes or just eventual. But yeah, I just sort of lump those guys together because they're they're sort of taking the opportunity and and sort of forcing the front office's hand to at least pay attention to what they're doing. But I do agree with you. Like wisdom is yeah. uh, quite interesting, and it's it's been a lot of fun uh, to to watch a, a bright spot here as we're uh, watch it, watching the team get you know their absolute bell rung on a daily basis by the <laughs> Milwaukee Brewers. But um, on that note, I do just want to briefly touch on something, and uh, th- this is sort of where you get into a little bit more of the, like, how do we deal with what's going on in 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 this current season? Like, the Cubs just don't win games anymore, and um, what I wanted to circle back to was, I think when, when it became clear that they were going to sell, when it was like, okay, this is over, I think it was probably after that Brewers series in Milwaukee, and it was like, okay, this division lead is too big now. Jed is definitely not going to buy. They're probably going to sell. This is kind of over, right? And I remember one of the the sort of things that I thought, and I think I said on this podcast, was I, I don't really care whether they win or lose from this point, right? Because it just doesn't matter. They're not going to win enough to get themselves in the playoff race. They're not going to buy. They're going to sell. And they're not going to lose enough to put themselves in an interesting spot for the draft, or at least one that is like significantly worth um, paying attention to. Now, hold on, <laughs> right? Um, you go on enough like seven, eight game losing streaks, Brendan, and things get a little more interesting in that regard. And I'm not asking you to care about the MLB draft or anything like that. But my philosophy here, Brendan, and, I, and I, I'll see if you agree, if this is how it's going to be, they've already traded off our our heroes, some of the, the best players of our, our Cubs fandom in our whole lives. We've already ripped that Band-Aid off. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to win the division. We know all of this, Right. So this whole thing might as well go as well as it can for 2021, right? One of the ways to do that is to get as high of a draft pick as they possibly can. And it seemed uh, insurmountable or just sort of inconceivable that they would be able to get themselves sort of near that top five, six area. It's not really out of the question anymore. So they are not going to catch Arizona, who is amazingly awful. They have 35 wins, Brendan. Just for contrast, the Cubs have 52. (laughs) So that's how bad the Diamondbacks have been. The Pirates have 41. But other than that in the National League, and then the Orioles at 38 and the Rangers at 40, everything else is in play. So they're not going to get in that top four. But other than that, like the bottom is 48 wins for some of these other teams. There's a lot of teams crammed up in there. And this Cubs team does not look very competitive. So all I'm saying is, for me, Brendan, like I'm looking at these individual performances. I want guys like Steele, et cetera, to keep doing their thing, Alzali, like, and, and watch that progress and root for these guys. But they've, they've made it interesting enough that it, it, it would be worth their while to just continue losing these games because they're already in this mess. This season is already a waste. We've amassed all these prospects, and a top pick in, in 2022 is not going to speed up their competitiveness in, in, in for 2022, obviously, right? You're not even going to draft those guys until the summer. But we're spending this time 
with this losing team, they might as well lose productively, right? Like, do you do you know where I'm coming from on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if they lose productively, then you still need Steele to look good, Hendricks to look good, Azulay to look good, Wisdom, Ortega, when Nico comes back, when hopefully Wilson's healthy. So if they're losing a ton of games, then that signals that Perhaps that's maybe a, yes. Steele's not doing that's, that good. Okay, that's fair. Maybe, maybe Azulay's not doing that good. So it's more important for me just going and focusing on the on those players if they end up drafting in the top five yeah that's that's fine but i'm not going to sacrifice Steele's development Oslo's development to get a top five draft pick when you're going to be like top seven top eight probably anyway so I don't, I don't know i know like it's definitely appealing to see yourself in the top five for for the draft and you can't help but think what that has gotten the cubs in years past like you could draft a schwarber at number four um you know, you drafted your entire World Series championship team um, high up in the first round. So I, I get that appeal, but not at the cost I, of the guys we need to be good. No. Yes. No, that's fair. I'm, I, and I'm not advocating. And even, that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I'm just trying to like, you know, draw perspective. Even like the bullpen, right? Like you got to see like Manny Rodriguez sure. do good. You got to see like, you know, hopefully Dakota Meccas has a chance and Trevor McGill looks good and these guys get legitimate chances. And we're forgetting about Keegan Thompson. Like this rotation with Arietta Goncory, Hendricks, Azalai, Steele, Thompson, Mills. Like that, th- there's a lot of uncertainty there. But if things go right, that's not that bad of a rotation. When it clears some right? things like, up going forward, yeah. Exactly. So if we're throwing out like, you know, the Frank, no offense to Frank Schwindel, but if we're throwing the Frank Schwindel equivalent for a starting pitcher, then yeah, like go ahead and tank. If you're 20, 2011, 2012, yeah, just go ahead and tank. But we have so many guys on this roster right now that we need to figure out what we have for 2022 because this could very well be a quick turnaround. Like this team could be competitive in 2022. Is it World Series competitive? Probably not. Could it happen? Maybe. Baseball is a stupid sport. Absolutely. And so for that to even be part of the conversation, I need this rotation, which consists of five very relevant guys. Like all five of those pitchers I just mentioned could very well be in the rotation next year. So we need them to work out. Yeah, I think that's fair. So if we can find a way for the team to keep losing, but (laughs) several individual guys to be doing well and not the reason for that losing... Then I think we're now we're like really cooking. We're cooking with gas there. So like Austin Romine, Andrew Romine, Schwindel. You guys can like bat a hundred. Right. That's fine. Wisdom Ortega, like three hundred. Yes. Those that's that's your role. And then the bullpen, the lower level guys. Once again, the fifth and sixth yeah, like innings. Rex after, Brothers, man, give up as many runs as you. Yeah, want. go go for it. Go give up eight runs sure. a game. Be be my guest. Do so after Steele went five innings of shut up all. Right. Like that's fine for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, so look, I mean, I you know, I'm I'm not a uh, I'm not a big draft guy. I'm not uh, like you know big like let's tank and and dig into that. Obviously, you guys know like more than anything almost in the world, I just want the Cubs to win baseball games. So yeah. this is not uh, you know my normal mindset. I I only brought it up because they they really have lost enough that this is somehow part of the conversation, and I really didn't think it would get right. there. Um, but yeah, you know, one and nine in their last 10, another eight game losing streak. It's like you, you, you string enough of these together, it does sort of become part of the conversation. And I just figure, 
you know, the more top quality prospects Jed has, like they don't all have to, you know, be um, on a plane to Wrigley Field one day, right? Like you can use those lower level guys to trade for major league talent and stuff like that when you are ready to compete. So I just want Jed to have all of the resources he possibly can. And at this point, it's possible that his draft resources for next year can be better than I thought they would be. So I did just want to bring that to your guys' attention. That is, you know, I guess a potential downside of the Cubs uh, cutting ties with Jake Arrieta because those were guaranteed losses. (laughs) So if you were invested (laughs) in them getting in the top five or top six, the the Arietta move is not uh, one that is going to help that because yeah I mean those are basically guaranteed losses so uh, Jed I, I guess Jed is 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 more concerned with uh, getting length out of his starters and not having to go to the bullpen after an inning and two thirds every time uh, than he is in just ensuring this team is losing games but um, anyway make of that what you will. I'm just bringing it to your attention that that is on the table uh, all of a sudden. So with that, um, one one last thing um, I just wanted to to bring up, because I think we're, we're through the kind of individual performances that we really wanted to uh, key in on. And obviously, you know, you guys know, like, I, I think Keegan Thompson will be up and getting an opportunity, especially with Arietta out. So that'll be something to watch. We've kind of set you guys up for that. Um, I did just want to note, Brendan, like randomly, like watching these press conferences, man, this is a, this, you know, we talked about how much of a challenge this was for someone like Wilson Contreras. David Ross, dude, looks exhausted miserable in all of these press conferences and and this is a guy who you know it to use like sports cliche right like he's a gamer he's he's one of those grinder type guys we've seen him show you know all sorts of emotions especially like in 2016 when he was on dancing with the stars and stuff like that like he's a guy that has fun and stuff like that loves the game of baseball and he just looks so dejected in these post games, especially these last couple games against the Brewers, Cubs just getting blown out. And this is a this is an, an interesting, you know, like we're kind of talking about with Wilson maybe earning those chops as like the leader of the team, the the de facto captain or however you want to phrase that. This is uh we knew this was gonna be a unique experience for David Ross in his first full season. Now there's fans and all this other stuff, but this is quite the challenge for yet another guy who, you know, all players want to be winning and stuff like that. But David Ross has done a lot of winning in his career. He has a pedigree of being yeah. a guy that, that is a big-time winner, and this looks very difficult for him. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's changing things up, though. So whether or not that look is a look of dejection or exhaustion, uh, maybe it's more exhaustion. It's like they're changing up their pregame routines. Like David Ross is trying to nudge, not trying, he is, nudging, for example, his players to all stretch together on road games, uh, having more frequent film sessions rather than individual work. Now that you have Javi gone and Rizzo gone and KB and all these guys who were veterans and World Series champions who went about it a different style, there's a culture change going on. And when a big part of your culture is gone, you have uh, something to fill its space. And right now, David Ross is trying to fill in a new culture, which I, I appreciate. Um, whether or not it's going to be a tangible effect in terms of stretching together before games or doing film session together or whatever, 
I at least like the fact that, that things are changing. We heard about this for years, even with Joe Madden uh, going out on the foul line together for like national anthems. Like that was what they're trying to change. But there was, with Madden, a very distinct difference from what you see with, with David Ross. And if I had to pick, I, I love Joe Madden. Like I, I, I'm a psycho. I have a, I have Joe, I have a Joe Madden jersey. Like I'm that much of a psycho. But if... I'm like an upcoming player, um, and I can have Joe Madden's mindset of not being scared of failing, which I think David Ross has that for his players, but combining that with a greater degree of urgency and camaraderie and promoting an environment where you're talking to your teammates, I I probably would fit in better with that. Like I, I know people are joking about, oh, let's stretch together before games. I... I like that. I think it does put your guys in a micro environment where ideas can be exchanged. And we saw the benefit of that, of you Darvish and other players he's known around the league, and even you Darvish and Craig Kimbrell in bullpen sessions when Darvish picked up his curveball. Like any opportunity to increase the likelihood of that happening, I'm for. So I, I don't know. I, I think. If you're if you're Ross, yeah, you had to be ejected. You just sent away Rizzo, and Chris Bryant, and guys you consider like long term friends, like no doubt about it. But at the same time, I I feel as if Ross is made for this type of role mm-hmm. where he now can implement exactly his vision. You have to accept the possibility, and I and he did get over, it, but you have to accept the possibility he wasn't able to do that just because your routines were so ingrained in these guys's. Uh, mindsets and they were winners and there was no reason to change some of those routines yeah i mean for for better or worse this does sort of present a clean slate for ross obviously you know managing you know you come in and manage you you obviously are taking control and you expect guys to respect that and and listen to you and and whatever new things you're putting in place or whatever but at the same time you know like you said brennan there was such a an ingrained sense of identity right with with the group that was um because it had been here for years they had won and and obviously there was just a certain way of doing things a certain vibe however you want to phrase that and you know now it's it's a little easier i think for ross to you know ross and jet hoyer to kind of form this organization in whatever mold they want it to be in right and uh I I think when the season is over, I think we'll maybe take a look at, at what we thought um, of the job that, that David Ross did. I think it's been a little up and down, but again, you know, it's his first season and he's having to navigate through a lot, which I, I don't know how you really prepare for a lot of what he's dealt with um, in terms of managing this team, managing a team that had been dealing with rumors for the first half of the season and, and now managing a team that has a lot of guys getting, you know, their first big league opportunities or getting their first significant big league opportunities and dealing with a team that uh, has no expectations anymore. And, you know, now is not playing in front of full houses on a nightly basis. It's it's pretty night and day in terms of uh, the job that David Ross took over initially and the one that he's doing right now. So, that's another thing that's interesting to follow. It's 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 perhaps uh, you know not quite as significant as the player development, but it is similar. Like you know this is uh, this is the time we have to learn about David Ross and the time that David Ross has to learn about being a manager and and managing in in pretty drastically different 
situations, and it'll be interesting to see. I, I just thought of that yeah. because I was watching that press conference on Marquee, and he just looks— <laughs> I saw the same uh, one. He look, looks dead. Yeah, he looks he, dead. We've, we've just yeah. seen so much media content from him over the years in, in different forms of interviews and things like that. And, you know, he's normally got that smile and that laugh that he does, and, you know, now he just sits down, and it's, you know, just— I know. Ugh, okay, like what like questions do give you guys have? Like we lost by 15 runs, you know? Like what what, <laughs> what do you guys want, you know? Yeah, it's sad. All right, well, unfortunately, uh, more losing is on the horizons for, for David Ross. So let's preview this upcoming three-game set against the Miami Marlins. So the Cubs will travel to Miami for a three-game set starting Friday at 6.10 p.m. Central. We have Adber on the mound for the Cubs on the year. He's 4-12, a 4.71 ERA. He'll be facing Jesus Lazardo for Miami, who's 3-5 with a 7.36 ERA. On Saturday, 5.10 p.m. Central start time, Zach Davies on the mound for the Cubs, 6-9, a 5.26 ERA. I forgot Zach Davies existed until I just read his name right now. Um, he's still on the Cubs somehow. Miami has not announced a starter for Saturday's game. I don't think you guys care, but if you do, look it up tomorrow. I'm sure they'll announce it. Uh, on Sunday, to finish off this set, we have an afternoon 12.10 p.m. Central start time. Alec Mills on the mound for the Cubs, 5-4, a 4.27 ERA. We have Zach Thompson Pitching for Miami, 2-5, and five, a 3.09 ERA. What to look for? Pretty simple. Adber, want to see that changeup, want to see that progression against the lefties, as we saw in his last start out. Looked really good against the White Sox. Let's hope that continues. For Alec Mills, keep it going, man. Keep throwing those five pitches. Keep elevating those fastballs. Keep showing those slow curveballs and maybe carve yourself out a role for 2022 in the rotation. Um, as far as the position player group goes, Wisdom, Contact Rate, Ortega, Breaking Pitches, everyone else, whatever. I don't care about Austin Romine. Don't care about Andrew Romine. No offense. Frank Schwindel. Don't care about you. Sorry. Uh, I feel mean saying harsh. that. Harsh. That's harsh, uh, man. I, it is harsh. It's Honestly, a lot of that is just like just anger not anger but like just sadness like i i miss i miss chris bryant i miss yeah i miss rizzo like i watch chris bryant's at bats every night Corey. every single at bat i watch i'm, I'm, a, I'm a psycho we know <sighs> anyway so that's three game set whatever i just hope the pitching looks good yeah i think i'm uh in about the same boat there if you are keeping track of the tank that is going on. The Cubs are three games up on the Miami Marlins in that regard. So, <laughs> I, what I, you know, you pick your rooting interest. I'm not going to tell you to, you know, you're right or wrong one way or the other, but that's uh, the lay of the land there. So, yeah. Uh, just, yeah, I mean, individual yeah. performances, that's, that's really what it's about. I mean, obviously... I think it's it's easier for the players and, and everybody involved if the overall result is good. Obviously, it has not been for, for some time now as they've lost eight in a row. But I do think that it's it's just about focusing on these, these individual performances. I know they're out there trying to play as a team, 
and it, it's not always easy to boil it down that way, but there there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, and I think um, whatever the Cubs' plan is for 2022, a lot of these guys may factor into it, and how they perform over this next month and a half is certainly going to inform that for the front office in a lot of different respects. And that goes for guys that are struggling as well. You know, we talked about Ian Happ on the last episode, like still sort of keeping an eye on, on what that looks like for the next month and a half, because it's, it's, Jed's going to have a lot of decisions to make in this offseason, whether his budget is back to luxury tax level, just a little bit higher or whatever, he's going to have a lot of decisions to make on on who's on this team, who's getting a role on this team, and who they're moving on from. So uh, there there's plenty to to keep your interest, even if uh, it is difficult to watch a team that is uh, just routinely losing baseball games. So. That is what we have for you. As always, uh, thank you guys for listening to and supporting the Cubs-related podcast. We will be back with you on Sunday after the Cubs and Marlins finish things up. And as always, go Cubs!